brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by Midday Squares. Have you ever tried a Midday Square? They are the first functional chocolate bar and they're making waves. They're vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and non-GMO. They have 6 grams of protein, 4 grams of fiber, and omega-3s. Most importantly, they kill hunger, fuel your brain, boost your mood, and all from natural energy. They're everything a chocolate bar isn't and everything a protein bar wishes it was. Use the code KELSEY15 at checkout to get 15% off today. Morgan Zaggers is in the house, and this is a young woman that is up and coming and on the rise. And I've already just spent 15 minutes pre just ranting about life with her. And I didn't know that I was going to get that from her. So I'm going to hold that dearly and make you all jealous that I just got that moment. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. You have a lot going on, miss. Yeah, it's fun. I like to be busy though. Thanks for having me. I I love your show. Oh, thank you. I'm uh, I'm I'm thrilled that you're here. I got a lot I want to dive into with you, but first I'm going to try to make you slightly uncomfortable and kind of go tell me a little bit about how uh, a child grows up to be this forward thinking but also this willing to put ourselves out there and 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 take whatever that means because you my dear are very you're probably one of the more right-leaning friends. I'm going to call you friend now. Uh, friends that I would have in my bubble. And you seem to speak about issues in a way that doesn't make me feel like you're just ranting about like, I don't like this or you shouldn't be like this. You just have a normal conversation, really rational, very, very articulate, very educational. And I feel like I genuinely learned something from you. So how does somebody your age, like get to where you are right now? Wow. Uh, well, that was the ultimate compliment to someone like me that you learn from listening to, to the stuff that I put on the internet. So thank you very much. Uh, so I'm from upstate New York, I guess, to really explain how I got in this space, because I'm not interested in campaign politics or anything like that. But now I'm considered a political person in many ways. I'm from upstate New York. It's very farm country, uh, rural, conservative. My dad uh, just retired, but he was a colonel in the military and he was in Iraq. He was on the scene of 9-11 and the cleanup. 
And I just grew up in a patriotic family, but they really didn't talk about politics at all with me. And we weren't a religious family at all. So when I went to college, it was really the the ultimate changing moment for me because I went thinking I was going to go into veterans advocacy. I, in high school, joined the VFW Ladies Auxiliary randomly. It's like the most random story of my life. But I just walked into the post one day and I walk in and it's a bunch of Vietnam and Korea vets and they were drinking at a, a bar inside of the post at like 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. And I walk in after my school ended on, on that day in high school. And I ended up joining, I joined and I became an officer. And then I wanted to go to college and be a part of veterans advocacy in some way in my career. But when I got to college, I had a roommate walk in on the first day and she has a poster of Mao Zedong, Lenin, Stalin, Karl Marx and Fidel Castro on the wall. And well, I'm sorry, stop, nope. You can't, I'm not allowing that to just fly by. Like that's not going to be picked apart for a second. I'm sorry. Where were you going to school? I went to, this is the thing. I went to American university in Washington, DC. So my perspective is that this little country bumpkin is going to go down to Washington, DC, our nation's capital. And, and I'm going to become somebody involved in veterans advocacy at American university. And it actually was 90% liberal on campus. And it ended up being the number one most politically active campus in the country. So it was a way different experience than I expected. And that was more normal for her to have communist mass murders and dictators on her wall and to self-identify as a communist than it was for me to just be a moderate conservative, which I was at the time. So that really sparked my interest in to me, I thought it was clear that communism was bad. I'm a big history nerd. My dad taught me that a lot growing up and seeing her with mass murders and dictators on the wall and then how normal it was for everybody around. And she's telling me she's going to bring progress and uplift to the working class and uh, end suffering for the masses and the country. I'm just going, okay. <laughs> and I, it was that turning point for me because I thought I would know what to say in an encounter like that. And I didn't. And so I ended up starting a nonprofit where I interview people from communist countries and just ask them for their personal experiences. I don't think the education system properly teaches that period. And now we're running into situations where we see these kind of same promises. We see this same behavior. We see the rise up of uh, people that support these old ideas. And then we don't have red flags go off in our head because we just simply weren't taught them. So I have a lot of respect for people that that fall for these issues and fall for these talking points because I know that they care. I know that they want to help others, but they were really failed by the education system. And so my passion is education. Okay. So let's take that back. So you walk into a room and you see this, is this somebody from America or is this somebody that has come from another country to America? No, she was from Virginia. Okay. Fantastic. So let's, let's, did you end up staying with her? Yeah, we, we would hang out. We would intentionally talk and make breakfast together. And we, we got our nails done. I never do that ever. Cause I, I own a woodworking business. So they always get ruined, but she spent $60 on a manicure. Okay. I being like, you know, it's not how it works in communist States, my friend. So that's okay. So that, that right there. So she's, she's doing these things. She's got these behaviors. Did you ever Number one, I love that you were willing to be open-minded enough to sit and have a conversation with somebody of a different opinion, whether it's a, whether it's a, a good opinion or, a, you know, something that is quite clearly and very obviously 
a direction that no country should want to aspire to, but that's, you know, nor here nor there, but you were able to sit with another human being and, and kind of have a conversation. Is that something you ever really discussed with her? Did you ever really get into the nitty gritty about why she believed that? Was that a family trait? Is that something that she was taught in school? Is that something she was taught at home? I just wonder how this happens when you're living in America, especially in Virginia. That's like saying someone to tech in Texas, I'm a communist. What? You're born in Texas. You can't be. It's it's not legally allowed. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't get that deep into those things with her because we only had that year together and think it was a little awkward. I mean, we were truly entering the conversations knowing that we didn't agree on things. And I I remember what really stuck out to me because I'm more so interested in figuring out how can we as conservatives and people that believe in individual freedom and empowerment, how can we let people know that it's because we care about them and we think that's what's best for them that will help bring solutions. And one of the most important things she said to me was that she thinks conservatives are mean because we say we care about things and then we don't want to put government action and taxpayer dollars behind the things we say we care about. And so that kind of conversation is really important to me because it helps us understand there's an issue of messaging. There's an issue of communication. A lot of people our age in millennials and Gen Z, they're taught that really the only way to bring a solution is to throw more money at it and make another government program. And we see that in, in many of the numbers, how that's really just not the case from basic education funds to, to other more welfare programs that that's not really helping people out right now. So getting into the, the nitty gritty of those conversations is, is the hard thing to do, but it is really fun when you're able to find someone that wants to also have that conversation with you. It's a special thing to be able to go back and forth and try to be compassionate and empathetic towards someone, because at the end of the day, if that is what the conservatorship is leaning to do is to try to not, not only educate, but bring other individuals towards them or show them that there's a different way or maybe a better way or a way that they can have more rights and more freedoms. But they don't realize that those rights and freedoms have even been taken. So it's like, if you're not coming at it with a, from a place of compassion and empathy, you're not going to get, you're not going to get their ear. The struggle I find, and I see so much is on social media, when I see that individuals do really struggle because they put themselves in this bubble where they only listen to a few individuals and those individuals happen to be some type of influencer and they end up dictating how that person develops throughout their life. It's terrifying. And in my opinion, to have young children on social media for reasons like this, you're yeah. smiling so hard right now. And I want to understand why. It's just, it's the constant struggle. I mean, there are so many, I don't, I don't like to talk about it because I don't want to be mean about it, but it is so weird to me to see how you can become a, an Insta famous person by making a video of you going like this and pointing at harsh political statements on the screen. And then if you're asked to communicate those values, um, most of those people really can't. And it only adds to um, this never ending amount of content that is just divisive and doesn't actually achieve anything, but Hey, you can make a lot of money these days. And so I, I talk about the political industry quite a lot. I mean, I have friends that are political influencers. I have friends that are consultants. I have friends that run the political pages of politicians because that's, that's how it works. I don't know if anybody doesn't know that still, but all the tweets, all the posts you see, those are just written by 
by young 20 somethings and then approved by politicians to go out. That's (laughs) That's terrifying. It's an industry. And, and I recognize that, but that's why it's really important to understand that there's a lot of people out there more focused on education and are in a separate space. And uh, it's easy to identify the differences. I, I would say once you start to open your eyes to it. Well, that's it. You have to be willing to open your eyes to it. And I think so many people right now are finally starting to uh, wake up, open their eyes, be conscious, um, look up from their phones, realize there's a world going on around them and just see, okay, hey, maybe this world that I've been staring into isn't really the thing that I actually have to physically live in. And I'm realizing how bad it's getting. I do not know. Okay, let me back that up for a second because I don't want that to come off negative. The world is getting... It feels out of control. It only feels out of control if you're constantly death scrolling. Let's start there. I think the world is a beautiful place. We just don't give it enough. Uh, we don't give it. We don't give it enough value. We don't talk about it in a positive manner the way we should. So let me leave that there. So, what I was going to say next with you, you've got all these things going on. You look at so many different topics. Um, you really do pull at a lot of strings. And I think the educational point for you is why you stand apart. I want you to help me understand the difference between communism, socialism, and a democracy for the (laughs) listeners. So they can really wrap their brain around why two of these is a struggle and we really shouldn't be leaning towards them for any reason. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that's a loaded question, but that's the thing. I am not a one, two punch kind of political talker. And so I don't do well on things like Twitter. Like I have a Twitter. I I can't think of one sentence to say that's going to be valuable that everybody else already isn't saying. And so I don't do well on those platforms. And people were excited about Elon Musk buying Twitter. But I'm like, no, I want somebody to buy a Facebook or a YouTube. Instagram or something. Yeah. And then long form content that should be out there, but maybe doesn't succeed anymore. Then it can be free to be posted. And yeah, it's nice to, I guess, be able to post a tweet and have it not be censored or whatever. But to me, I see so much more value in having a freer space for long form content and conversation. So that's just, if anybody out there is a billionaire that wants to do that for me, thank you. Um, (laughs) When it comes to, okay, so I run a nonprofit, the legal name is Young Americans Against Socialism. And then our show where we interview the survivors from communist countries is called The Freedom Records. So that's at thefreedomrecords.com. And we post history, economics lessons and stuff like that too. But for people to easily understand, socialism is, is just an economic system. And so whenever the conservatives, I always talk to them about this, whenever conservatives look at anything bad, like a tax or a, something done by the government, and they say socialism evil, that's very confusing to young people because then they say, oh, so this one little tax that I support is socialism. I guess I'm a socialist. And if you ask most young people, about 70% would vote for a socialist right now. And only five to 6% of that same population, according to a 2019 poll, say they trust the government. Now, with those two numbers, things start to make a little bit more sense of why we're in this pickle, because socialism is when you seize the means of production. It's no longer the industries and that major part of the economy being owned by the people and private businesses, private business people, uh, private employees. It's the government 
owning and operating and controlling that entire industry. The government sees the means of production. And so when you say only five to 6% of young people trust the government, but then 70% wanna be a socialist or wanna vote for a socialist, to me, I see this as an issue of we really don't understand what's happening right now. A lot of the times you hear socialists say, oh, our economic policies are not going to make us like Venezuela, which was the most recent socialist downfall in world history. Instead, they say, we're going to end up like Nordic Europe. Nordic Europe is completely different. It's a private economy. They just have really high taxes and, and a lot of government programs that are very pricey, but it's different. It's a social democracy. So when you have these big welfare programs, that's one thing. And I say, I personally think that that's very dangerous in its own way. Those countries are going to potentially face bankruptcy soon. But when we're talking about socialism, you are giving control of the economy, control of the ability for you and your family members to get the necessary items to get by on a day-to-day -day basis, to be able to put food on the table. All of that is now controlled by the government because money is really where the power is. And so that's why Lenin and a lot of dictators in the past have said socialism is the required step to communism because communism is that final goal, but it is socialism that really gives the government the power that they need because they then they now control all finances and economics in the country. So it's very, very dangerous to have that. But we also forget that when you are trying to get to this communist state, this utopia where everything's equal, and everybody's free and everybody's um, all on the same level, you have the step of socialism, but you also have things like authoritarianism, where the use of force is employed, not choice. And then you also have totalitarianism, where anybody who dares to speak out, if you try and go against the state, you will be eliminated or you will be thrown into an area where you will be re-educated. So I see them as the three pillars of communism as we get there. The other important aspect, you asked me to talk about democracy, you can have socialism ruin a country, even if it is a democracy, even if it is a republic. It's all about the economic policies that you're implementing. And so that's what we saw in Venezuela. They democratically elected into office a person who identified as a democratic socialist. And Hugo Chavez was put into power. Once he was put into power, they seized the means of production, specifically of the oil and gas industry in that nation. And the economy collapsed. When you have the economy collapse, the government's fully in control of these things, and society is downfalling, you have this ability for them to rise up and gain more power. And next thing you know, you turn from a democracy to two decades later. To Canada. Gone, yeah, you've gone from a democracy, a couple decades happen of these socialist economic policies, the economy collapses, the power is transitioned, and next thing you know, you're in a dictatorship. So it's really convoluted, and that's why it's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard answer to give in a short amount of time, but that's why I believe in history so much, understanding history, because it tells a very clear tale of what happens when you approach policies with certain aspects or with certain ways and when you implement certain things in a country. Uh, history is very clear about it. Okay. Sorry, that was a long no, answer. No, I, I, there's, there's a lot. And I think, I think you nailed the hell out of that. Um, why do you think this happens the way it happens? I mean, is it that people end up voting in people because they feel so desperate because they feel so like there's no other choice is what is it? Why do you see countries slip the way they slip? 
Uh, well, e each one's different. For the most part, it's usually violent, right? I mean, it. for example, one of the really powerful stories that I've had, I don't know if you've met Gabby Franco. She's in the no. gun world. Um, no, she left Venezuela. She was a Venezuelan Olympic shooter on their team. And when I was interviewing her, she was talking about how Castro had come to power in Cuba before Venezuela fell to socialism. And when Castro came to power, I mean, they had their revolution. They land on the shores with a very small amount of people. And the interesting story of Cuba is when Castro was there and he had to build up his army after that first battle, he only had like numbers in the teens, right? Like 18 or so people after this first battle with Batista, they had to build up an army. And so they went from town to town in the countryside and said, hey, you see those evil rich people over there? And he would point at the farmers. He would say, all those people, all that land, all that money, all those animals, all those resources and food that you don't have. It's not fair that they have that much. We just stole these animals from their farm and we're going to give them to you because that's what's moral and righteous and just. And if you support us, that's what the future is going to look like as well. There's going to be more where this came from. And so he built up his army by going from town to town. Eventually they had that violent revolution and they became a dictatorship pretty quickly. Now with Venezuela, what's interesting is you had Cubans that fled Cuba when fled to Venezuela, poor them, right? <laughs> they flee to Venezuela and then Chavez is democratically elected into office, calling himself a democratic socialist, saying we're gonna uplift the working class, we're gonna properly spread the resources to all the people, the same talking points that Castro had, but this time he's democratically elected. Gabby was talking about in my interview with her that not only was it sketchy from her gun angle where it was becoming harder and harder to even buy ammunition. And she was like, eventually you couldn't even find 22 and the government was using regulation and uh, new expectations to buy firearms that was kind of freaking people out a little bit. But not only that, you had Cubans saying, hello, I'm sounding the alarms. This guy is talking just like Castro did when he ruined our country. Everybody needs to keep an eye out. Gabby was one of the only people she said everybody would say, we're not, we're not an island like Cuba. We're a democracy. It could never happen here. We're the most oil rich country in this continent. It could never happen here. But what do you know? They seized the means of production of their major industry, oil and gas, and then the country collapsed. Gabby's one of the only people that heard those warnings and then left and came to America. And she tells the camera to me, she's like, I can't believe I'm saying the same warnings that Cubans gave to me. And now Americans are saying, oh, we're different. It can never happen here. What's fascinating, okay, number one, you need to connect me with her because I feel like I just listened to myself talk about Canada. Um, but the the thing that's most fascinating to me is that America's not getting it, but their hat's on fire. Mm -hmm. We have fallen, we're fully there. We, I, how much do you know about what's going on up here? Uh, a lot. Okay, great. Let's talk about it for a second, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't you explain to the Canadian listeners, which are only 18% of you, the rest of you are American and otherwise, why don't you all listen and learn as to why what's happening in Canada? Because I've tried. So now I've brought the smarter person on. Now she's going to try and I'm going to hope that you listen. Can you please explain what the hell is happening to Canada from a political standpoint? Well, I think what's happening in Canada is what we're seeing across the West. Uh, this is a really fascinating concept. So I, one of the things that I do is 
a show called Freedom Papers for Turning Point USA. They're making more student content. They're doing an academy trying to make educational curriculum. And so for me, they asked me as the history nerd to come in and do the Federalist and Anti-Federalist breakdown. The Federalist Papers and Anti-Federalist Papers were written by our founders in 1787 when they were debating and trying to convince with these opinion pieces that they would release into newspapers that the Americans should either vote to ratify or not vote to ratify the US Constitution. So it was kind of like them writing opinion pieces that were arguing with each other about the goods and the bads. But overall, what they were addressing in the papers is that, hey, we are starting something that is completely unprecedented in human history. The West was really being formed around this time in all areas, including Canada, where people for the first time were not going to be oppressed by a monarch. They were not going to be oppressed by a tyrant or by some serfdom style approach to an economy where there are strict classes and you will never move up. For the first time ever, the West really came with the Enlightenment and said, we are going to have societies where people have choice, where they have autonomy over themselves and over their lives, and then they have a say in the government. And so democracies, republics really rose up. I mean, one of the things I really love is in the 1700s, you also had Catherine the Great over in Russia. And I mean, imagine that they'd had serfdom for all of their, their country's history. And she's over there trying to deal with that and realized it's going to be impossible. But in America, we were actually succeeding. In the West, we were succeeding in bringing a society of freedom, of individuality, and of choice. So I would say for the first time since that happened in the 1700s, we are now having to grapple again in Canada and in America with people not understanding how important it is to have choice in their lives and to be able to make their own decisions and not feel the force of government. For the first time ever, we are feeling what it's like to live under force. And I don't think people understand how serious that really is because we took it for granted for way too long. Again, I hate to continue to hammer this one home, but it's all about understanding history and the fact that we are living in an unprecedented time of freedom and we've taken it for granted. Now we're experiencing what it's like to live under force for the first time and people are either being jolted awake or they've been indoctrinated enough. And I'm not saying it's active indoctrination of you should enjoy being told what to do, but it's more of the indoctrination of leaving important things out of the education system, of not passing down certain values at the kitchen table. By family, we trusted the government education system to teach us all this stuff. We were indoctrinated into accepting this form of government in our lives. Our, these two generations, millennial and Gen Z, we're now told that this is the normal approach for government to be able to do these things to us and stop us from opening our businesses, to stop us from speaking out and having peaceful protests. This is unprecedented. And I hope that that piques your guys' interest, everybody listening, to then look more into what it really means to live in a society of choice versus force throughout human history. This is a special, special time that we need to be protecting. I've been having conversations with individuals lately um, in the past, ever since I started the show, that come from different backgrounds or going on shows. For example, Lex Friedman coming from the Soviet Union and how that worked and being able to talk to him about the differences and what it was really like. And to see somebody who truly understood what it was like to live in a world by force and then be allowed to come to a country where it was freedom. The people who truly understand what that feels like because they've lived it, 
they appreciate freedom and are sounding the alarms in ways that for some reason, they're just falling on deaf ears. When those are the people we should be listening to the most, like Gabby. I'm not sure how much longer it's going to take for Canada to really fall, fall, but it's coming. Uh, our, our inflation is through the roof. Uh, they're calling it, I think it's like just inflation or something like that. I don't know. There's a whole, <laughs> yeah, super people are getting real creative. Um, the protests happened in Canada and we started speaking out. Uh, I started speaking out. A lot of us started speaking out. What happened after that very quickly became um, new bills put into Canadian law that censor social media and censor the internet waves and censor all of that. How much of that do you really have knowledge on? Uh, in Canada? Yeah. Not as much. Per- oh, okay. And not a lot. Wait, so now they're censoring social media waves, you're saying? Yeah. So Canada put in a new bill. It's it's in the way it's, as somebody is correcting me, it's out all the way through. It's almost through. There's a process. And I'm like, okay, hey, I'm not a politician. We've talked about this. We've been pretty clear. I know who I am. It's not my strengths, but I know what's going on because I know it's affecting my business. It's affecting friends' businesses. It's affecting friends' podcasts. It's affecting, it's affecting so much in Canada. The reason Americans aren't hearing about it is because Canada is now being given the right to manage the internet waves. Okay. Do you understand what that means? That means, yeah, what's up CCP? We are there. So, I mean, we're already owned by them. It's fine. Justin is, it's fine. So the problem now lies with, we can't get information out and people can't get information in. And that is a huge issue. When you start talking about control over things. When you're talking about the thing that people stare at daily, like for most of their day, and they can't get differing opinions, different information, different knowledge, and you can't push your business or your creations on YouTube or whatever out because they can do that. So YouTube sent letters to creators. If you have a podcast, you have a a show or, or whatever on YouTube. If you're from Canada, they sent you got an email about it and YouTube. Um, I'll find it and I'll put it up. Cause I, I had it. I think I deleted it. Cause I was so irritated. It was like letting us know that legislation was changing in Canada and that it could, it could affect creators. Now I think in McLean's uh, McLean magazine, there was an article that came out about major creators who make like six, seven figures on YouTube, which there's many of them nowadays from Canada are all talking about leaving the country. Because it's going to affect people in a way that they're not fully understanding. Um, That is a problem to me. And that is something that people are not grasping. And that is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous behavior. The second thing that happened recently was the gun law change. Do you know about what happened up here with that? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. So, you know, in September, they're looking for this to go through, but handguns are no longer going, you can't, they're banned. So now you're looking at two years ago, we lost a first set of rifles, like a certain subset of weapons we could no longer buy. Two years later, snap election, pull out of Afghanistan, abortion of that size. Then we lose another gun, right? Now we're having the internet like censored. Now we're having Soji taught in schools. Do you know what Soji is? Wait, no. 
Oh, you're going to die. I was waiting for this. Oh, okay. I love this. I'm wa- ready for your face. Ready? Ready? Kindergarten to grade 12, multiple provinces since 2018 have adopted the sexual orientation and gender identification program that gets taught from five years old and up. Mm. My son at the end of school came home with a book that was called Jacob's New Dress. Wait, wait for it. It's going to get even better. My son started a business, a real one. He's five. He's six now. Started a business. He was getting bullied at school. It was, um, he has long curly hair and he wears a headband every day to keep the hair out of his face. It's a sweatband. He looks like if you took Will Ferrell from say, I don't know, like Step Brothers or like any of his movies that are ridiculous and you show him as a child, like that's what that school photo is. I'm not kidding. You're going to die. I'll show you after the show. He started a brand called Poopy Ninja because these kids were calling him the Poopy Ninja. So he's like, fine, I'm the Poopy Ninja then. And so he's got clothing and everything. He goes to school. Yo, you're going to, you're going to die. I'll have some kids just for this and then I'll put them in the merch. (laughs) Good. Because it's the best. It's amazing. So he goes to school with business cards as my child would. He's handing them out. Principal calls. Kelsey. Your son can't bring those to school anymore because we don't allow the word poopy. Poopy is a bathroom talk and we don't allow that. So I said, mm, okay, let's, let's back these breaks up. You've now allowed a five-year-old, which has had in his class, multiple violent attempts on children, including my son, who attempted to slit another child's throat with the key at the age of five in my son's class. He gets to stay in school. People get to bully my kid. My son does something productive with it. You can teach him that he can be gender affirmed at five and not tell me, but he can't say poopy. And she goes, no, it's bathroom talk. We don't like that. And I said, okay, 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 okay. (laughs) So on Monday, he's going to come to school and he's going to say, I identify as the poopy ninja. And what do you have to do? You have to say it because he identified. This is ridiculous. Why am I having to have this conversation? So he though knows the ridiculousness of this. I love my son. Oh, you're goddamn right. He does. Oh, that makes me so excited. No, we don't play this game. Listen here. I... I watched something recently. I I was so thrilled when I saw like Jordan Peterson started popping off about this recently and he's really been going for it. He just, um, I think uh, he just posted one with an individual and he, I've never seen in a video him like react so like intensely. And I was like, finally, because it is dangerous behavior. This is dangerous behavior. Listen, I've said it loud and proud and clear as day. I don't care if you want to identify as like purple rainbow. You want me to call you unicorn. You want to do whatever you want to your body when you're of age and older, and you've gone through mental health treatment, when you've sat with a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and you've looked at why maybe you're feeling this way, but you can't even ask somebody that in Canada, or you'll lose your license. So that is dangerous. There are young children being exposed to things that I find incredibly uncomfortable. It is wrong to be allowing this in schools and in books where children are so influential. We don't even let children pick what food they eat because they would eat sugar all day. Come on. 
Come yeah. on, people. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to say this, but you just described not only the same timeline of what other people that I've interviewed when their countries have fallen, that's the exact same timeline <laughs> that you just described for Canada. And then you also just described the three pillars of communism that we just talked about of yeah. economic socialism, totalitarianism, where you can't speak out, you cannot commit wrong thing, or you will be punished. And then of course, authoritarianism, the use of force to stop people. That's disturbing. Yeah. It's super disturbing. So, and, and to top it off, so the use of force, let's get into that. The freedom protests happened in February. They popped Mm -hmm. off. Um, I consider the individual who started the freedom protest to be the only reason that I continued to hold hope out in my country. We had talked about, I mean, we're still considering moving out of the country. Um, there's a, there's one more line. And if it gets to that, then we're gone. Um, but I'm trying to hold hope because this is the country I fought for. Right. So I'm like, I don't want to, I can't just up and abandon people because not that I'm out there like changing the world, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I can't, I'm not ready to do that yet. Um, so she's currently sitting in prison again. And, um, I, I consider her a political pawn at this point that she was let out, then she was rearrested. Um, and what people aren't understanding is things happened during that protest that were so egregious and unacceptable towards its citizens. I had a protest happening beside my house. So I live on the Washington border, like right on it. And, um, so we had a protest there at one of the, um, cause we have the border crossings and, uh, I went to it. Of course I went to it. You're damn right I'm going to it. I had so many people in my neighborhood, in my community, just squawking. I can't pick my schools up. Those people are crazy. They have no idea. They're so violent. And I said, there was a ball hockey game going on with some children. There was a bouncy castle. Um, I know that was the case in Ottawa because a lot of my friends, including James Top, who's walking across Canada right now for these rights, like we had this, beautiful thing happened. And what it was met with was violence by the RCMP, not all of the RCMP. I support police and I'm very open about that. I don't support police that get out there and decide that they're going to boot stomp people when that's Mm -hmm. not the way you handle it. And the reason I know that happened is there was an eight page WhatsApp chat leaked to rebel news. Not only was it leaked to rebel news, it was leaked to a lot of us in the community Anybody who had any kind of platform at all got a hold of this before it went out. And we saw the phone numbers, the police officers, the jack boots, the great, we're going to practice that horse maneuver again on another group of people. Bring your gas masks tomorrow because we're going to be gassing them. Like I saw violence that I never thought I would see in Canada enacted on its civilian population. And Then when I sit down and hear other Canadians who are smart, articulate, brilliant business individuals say they deserved it. And when they froze the bank accounts of single moms who even donated $20 or $5, and then they doxed their like homes and everything else, that behavior to me, and then the wartime act, the wartime act on its citizens. I'm sorry, but how do you not lose hope when you see it? How do people not see what's happening? I don't know. I would, I give you a lot of credit for saying, because to me, it's, it's gone too far. 
what they have bank accounts thing was truly frightening. Like that's what we're going to continue to see though, because you see this combination of big tech and high corporations working with the government. That's something, this is a really interesting thought. And I, I talk about it sometimes, but usually with socialism, it's so bad because the government gains financial control of the people by seizing the means of production. And now because you have these corporations and these big businesses that want to do the dirty work of the government, they're all ideologically the same. They don't even have to have the means of production seized of their industries. They're just willingly complying and helping the government. And I don't think we've ever seen something like that before. Canada's really just like ahead of where America is going to be if I, if we look a little bit further. Yeah. That's why I bring it up so much. It's not for me to rant to you about what's going on. You're intelligent enough to see the writing on the wall, but it's so that the Americans that are listening wrap their brain around that this is happening. I mean, I did a, I did a show recently on the, the drinking bros podcast with uh, Dan Holloway and those guys I love there. Yeah. And I just did the citizen with Dan. His new show is amazing. I, his new show, like, I don't know, it was a different vibe. And I was, I was really, I loved, I loved it so much. Um, that was, it was a great episode. So I, I recently did one and something that blew my mind was finding out and getting the outpouring afterwards from a bunch of Americans, uh, after they listened to the episode going, I had no idea what was going on. And I said, but you know, that doesn't shock me because last year and the year before, when we've been finding hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of babies in mass graves outside of indigenous reserves, you guys didn't hear about that either. Hey, you. Have you checked in with yourself today? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Have you had enough water? This is your midday check-in, brought to you by Midday Squares. Big breath in. (sighs) I'm back at it. Right? That's by design. Are you not catching on here? You're not hearing about things because you don't, if you don't hear about them, then you guys can't realize it's slowly happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say too, we live in such a time of privilege and and peace that people don't understand violence and oppression and control force. Those are really the things of status quo in human history. And then to find a way to avoid those things is really what we saw in the 1700s and beyond. And now we're, we're quickly going backwards, but it's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It's, um, I think at some point, if I would like my show to continue to be any sort of success, I will have absolutely no choice, but to leave the country to allow myself to grow. Because I mean, at some point there's gotta be, there's gotta be a break point. VPNs just don't do it. Right. Well, Um, and kids to me, I see it. So I'm from state New York and in New York, I mean, America, we are a system of federalism. So the states are little laboratories of the Republic. And I grew up in upstate New York where it was the highest state and local tax burden in the country. Some of the most controlling regulation for business. It was one of the worst states to start a business, maintain one or raise a family. They basically ranked the highest in all the worst categories. And so I moved to Texas in 2020 during COVID because I saw this use of force. And I just said, you know what? I don't have enough ties to New York state to make me real. It's not like I had a family ranch that's been there for centuries or anything like that. My family, they already planned on moving south when they were going to retire. So I said, I'm not 
staying here, meeting someone and raising my family in this dangerous area, I'm going to get out before anything gets weird. And I'm going to settle in a place where I can live on my values. And everybody's different about that in America of should you stay and fight versus should you leave? But I think New York is too far gone with them closing and stopping small businesses from opening for the use of force to try and get kids to get vaccines, et cetera. It just, it was too much for me. And I said, it's, it's not worth it anymore. I need to leave. Yeah. And we're definitely getting to that point. See, that's the difference. We we're connected here where we've, you know, this is the spot we've been, this is where my husband was born yeah. and raised. Uh, my family's uh, long haul truck drivers. So they're all over the place. I see them when I see them, but it's, so we have, you know, that connection and I have that connection to America. And so does my, and so does my husband with family down there. Um, I just, I love the idea that I can go to a different state and it'd be completely different than maybe the state beside it. There's options within the country. It's not like the provinces of Canada where we all just bow down to the one leader that somehow can keep running for prime minister and magically win, even though I'm, I don't know how he's winning. There's no way this next one, this next one, there's no way that can't be. I mean, it can't be you. It just can't be the amount of people that signed up for the new, um, the new conservative ship, like party, like the voting poll, because they just put out all this stuff. And they're like, we've had like an X amount more, like 70% more than we've ever had sign up for some ridiculous number. I was like, okay, all right, there's hope. Okay. We're, we're almost there. But then I see things like Canada being a part of the pilot program for the world economic forum, social credit system. Oh yeah. Oh, so you, you know about world economic forum. That's nice. Oh, do you think I mess around please? I'm, I'm not joking when I say that I am, I'm not okay with any of this. I am I am the crazy person in the family. I mean, my husband and I stand pretty firm together, which is like such a blessing through COVID. You weren't married through COVID, you don't have babies through COVID. So I can tell you right now, the amount of divorce, the amount of like family, like separation and division that has happened. I've been Mm. one of the fortunate ones that has come out of that with like uh, our feet firmly planted together. So I'm very lucky on that. Our child was like one of the only ones in his school that didn't wear a mask. Like we really were like, we, we flagged it. Well, yes, not a lot like of people it. know about World Economic Forum or World Health yeah. Organization. And no. so I'm I'm like a little small following and I do my stuff and I just kind of have my small business, my nonprofit, and I kind of keep to myself. But um, it was so funny. I did a podcast episode on the World Health Organization when Biden was proposing changes that would give jurisdiction to the World Health Organization to come into any country and have expectations for handling a potential health crisis. And so I was reading it and I'm like, have I gone off the deep end? Right? Is this real? Like, if I really am, I reading fake news right now, and I'm I'm tricking myself. But I did all this research, and I I'm trying to look and see has anybody posted about this? And I could only find something from Steve Bannon, and then like Infowars, and I'm like, I can't I can't share this yet. Maybe I should wait. So then I risk it, and I do a podcast episode just explaining. I'm reading this. It would probably mean this X Y Z. These are the implications. And then Sean Ryan reached out. Yeah. And he's like, Morgan, as expert on this topic, can you come on my show and talk about what you just talked about? And so I was really nervous because it's such a hush hush topic. And now it's becoming more mainstream to even just bring it up in conversation and address it. But I'm so glad to see the shift. And so it ended up the day that we released that episode, everybody else was talking about it. And so it worked out well. It was real news, <laughs> but I was, I was peeing my pants. So nervous. I, that's funny. I have his episodes out next week with us. He just came on and we were, we were talking about, you know, world issues like that. And 
I really started learning about the World Economic Forum. Oh my gosh, when was that? I think it was with the WHO. When I started researching some mental health, uh, some stats from 19 and 20, I wanted to kind of see what the mental health and the wellness of its society was looking like in terms of suicides. Um, and I wanted to kind of play with that. And at that time I was like, oh, okay. So one out of every hundred person is death by suicide. Oh, okay. Yeah. It feels high. It feels, feels really high. And then I started kind of to looking at a little more. And then I was like, oh, wait, Canada's a part, Canada's a part of this. And I got like this deep set, sick feeling because when you start seeing groups of people of just disgusting amounts of wealth and power sit down in a room with very European accents and start <laughs> saying all of these things and then start saying things like, by 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I freak the fuck out. You will eat your bugs. You will eat your bugs. You will be happy. And you're like, ah, but the World War II vets aren't even all dead yet. Why are we here already? I thought we had more time. I thought we had more time. Oh my gosh. That is funny. No, it is. It's kind of wild. That's really what pills everybody though. Like when we talk about getting somebody to take the pill, explaining to them. And all you have to do is they tweet this stuff. That's what's scary is it's not like they're trying to be sneaky. They have their public meetings every year. And then they publicly release the videos where they're talking about massively controlling the population of the world, not just countries. And then they say things like, oh yes, we actively are planning for by 2030, you will own nothing. You see what they're buying up in America. I mean, I just did an episode yesterday about China buying land. This is what bothers me. Want to know a little fresh or anything? In America, I just read more Chinese business or a Chinese business bought more farmland in America, mm -hmm. this time by Grand Forks Air Force Base, which is now considered a national security threat, according to many experts. And the mayor of the town who supported this and is working with the Chinese Communist Party to make this purchase happen, he said, well, I think it would really economically benefit our town. I I'm entering and your bank account and your bank. I'm account. entering this in good faith. It's like, well, can you think a little bit further ahead than just thinking you're going to do good faith business with a communist party that's genocidal, according to the Biden administration. And you're saying it's for economic reasons for your town. How small minded is that? I don't know if it's small minded or if it's just incredibly well paid off. Mm, okay. Money is a motivator. Money is a motivator. Fear is a motivator. And there are ways that they have utilized both of those things mm. to make people over a long period of time comply. We know that we understand their tactics. It's not something that is, is, is shocking and like this huge revelation. Oh my God, they paid them so much money and they threatened their families with their with <laughs> poisonings and terrible things. And their planes might just go down. Like it's not like a shock. This shouldn't be a shock that this happens. Yes. It predominantly happens in Hollywood movies. It's just playing out in real life. The difference is they're not being shy about it anymore. And they're being yeah. very poignant and doing the things they're doing, whether it's from, Oh God, technology, whether it's from theft of like, I mean, my God, the Coca-Cola deal. Did I, I don't know. Do you know about the Coca-Cola um, deal with the spy? What? No. <laughs> okay. So apparently this, and I don't remember when this happened, but I was reading this recently. Apparently uh, 
a Chinese individual was working it within like Coca-Cola and the lining within the cans is like some very big proprietary either um, coating or material. And they obviously wanted that. And the person got caught. They end up getting caught before they got back to China, but they end up getting caught. And it, this is a normal behavior. This happens. Canada uh, most of our PMs recently just went to a party celebrating the communist regime, like an open party, like in British Columbia, just like, really? we're like, we're yeah. At, yeah. I'll find I'm, there's so much for us to talk about. It's that is so crazy. I mean, yeah. what's crazy to me is we always say never again after the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And then we actually let communist China that's carrying out genocide host the Olympics again. <laughs> I, like, as an athlete, mirrors take place and then we say we're still (laughs) Nazis or something I don't know as an athlete I would have to put my foot down there listen I I was an athlete so I know people are like well you don't know what it's like to train your whole life for something and then just give it up on principle my coach decided not to rape my teammate I probably would have been on that path that was the goal that was the dream and that's what I did so I know what it's like to be an athlete and I've been married to a professional athlete. So yeah, I understand what that could mean. That's livelihood, that's deals, that's sponsorships, that's everything. That is your all. That being said, I mean, damn, damn. I just don't know. I don't know how we blindly are okay with a lot of this. I mean, you're watching, we have friends in Taiwan and I message them regularly and I'm like, please leave. You need to leave. Like these are Americans. These are Americans that we work with over there. Um, And so I'm like, you've been there forever. And I totally get that. But you have to see what's happening here. It's good. They're going to come in at some point. They're going to come in. They're going to take it over. And that's going to be the end of the conversation. And I'm going to sit there and go, told you so. Yeah. I want to know what it reminds me of whenever there's the hurricane warnings in the um, Southeast and people are like, I'm going to stick it out. (laughs) It's not going to come or any of that stuff. And so they stay and then then you see them like sitting on the rooftops of their house because the water is up to the roof. And you're like, why didn't you leave? A lot of people can't leave. I get that uh, both in the hurricane and the communist situation, but there's plenty of people that could pick up and they truly just don't understand the threat. I I, um, I interviewed the woman who was the first person to get asylum from the Hong Konger activist group because, and so that oh, we started, asylum. So her name is Frances Hoy and she's so sweet. She's younger than me. I think she was like 19. And so she was the first person to get asylum status in America. And she talks about how they never saw it coming. Like imagine being a free Westernized country. Well, they were technically under the jurisdiction of, of England, but imagine living as a free Westerner with that kind of lifestyle. And then all of a sudden the CCP is given control of your country and they say, don't worry, we're, we're not going to put anything into your lifestyle. That's too different. And then it just takes them a handful of years to completely take over. That's it's such a scam. A friend of mine um, who actually did this entire, he's a very talented uh, individual, Jamie, he, his family's from Hong Kong. He left uh, when that started to happen. And I remember we were, we actually working on my arm when the Hong Kong riots and everything started to go off and he was talking about it. And he, I've never seen someone so just fucking angry because he's like, how is this happening? Like they're over there, they're fighting this, but no one, no one's doing a thing about it because for some reason there's that, there's that like unwritten rule that if you touch China, if you touch China, you touch Russia. If you touch Russia, you touch North Korea. And I get it. I get it. 
but how how many different communities need to be victim how many more people need to be put into concentration camps how many people need to be taken and harvested for their organs like how many people need to be harmed before we step in and say like this isn't this isn't okay and like don't get me wrong i am not the person i actually speak pretty well i talk about it in a way that i think is fair america has a tendency to go and be like, I'm going to fight everyone. And that's cool. There's like, listen, there's a time and a place. We all get it. But America is a little hasty and they just like to uh, right away. And they, you know, so they're, they've got a history of that. And then we, as everyone else, like NATO are like, oh, fuck. Great. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So we're in this now. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Cool, cool. So like my sergeant who was with me in Afghanistan messages me yesterday and he's like, yeah, we're being, there's a chance we're going to be stood up. And I was like, for what? For why? You don't need to go over there. That's not how this is going to go. Like there's Europe is, you know, people are going to, there's pressure being put, right? There's pressure being put on, you know, not into Ukraine, you know, just on the border of Ukraine, just going, Hey, Russia, we're all here. There's a lot of us from other countries. We're not in there. So you can't, you can't see we're participating in the war. We're just here, you know, and decide if you want to try and go past that line, you go past that line. Now you're looking at a different world, right? We know that this is very much proxy. Like you guys are giving a billion dollars. It feels like every other month or every other time I like get on social media. Yeah. I I read something this morning that apparently we've now given Ukraine more money than was spent in the first year of the Iraq war at this point. (laughs) So a little disappointing, but that war machine's got to, that war machine's got to keep going. Well, I think a lot of this, it's very strategic propaganda. Like, I don't know if you remember this when Afghanistan was happening, every right. We're pulling out of Afghanistan in a disgusting way. It was the worst moment in American history, one of the worst moments in our history. And the Biden administration announces that all businesses that employ over 100 people will now have to require a vaccine mandate. That, in my eyes, is distraction propaganda, where a bunch of political actors get together in a room and say, shoot, we really messed up in Afghanistan. We've got to fix this somehow. Let's distract a third, at least, of the population that is about to have to experience a forced vaccination or will have to try and fight and find a reason. So they totally redirected and had propaganda, distraction propaganda. I think with Ukraine, they're releasing these huge amounts of money, but it's de- we're desensitized to it now. I mean, mm-hmm. the first 40 billion or whatever it was, that was crazy. Everybody was freaking out. Now it's just, oh, a new announcement, a new announcement, a new announcement. And we're desensitized to it because there's we've learned there's nothing to be done, apparently. There isn't it, when that's what it feels like. And I to- I know exactly what you're talking about uh, in terms of uh, distraction tactics. Are you talking about the snap election called during the Afghan pullout in Canada, where the liberal media was told and told me right to my face prior to an interview that they have a complete media blackout on Afghanistan and are not allowed to speak about the fact that they left tons of Canadians behind that left people like me to attempt to move them so they wouldn't get their heads cut off. You mean that, that abortion yeah. of a pullout? Yeah. Because to them, it's all just, how can we flip this? And that's what's crazy too, is people were saying, oh, it's just natural timing. This was coming anyways. And I know people that don't understand how operated this is of, no, they all sat in a room and they said, what can we do? I know 
let's announce the vaccine requirement or let's do X, Y, Z. That'll help our poll numbers. That'll distract some Americans from the time being. It's, it's really disturbing how they think that we are easily manipulated because we are, first of all, that's why you have things like WHO and the World Economic Forum. They talk about us as if we're little ants because we allow ourselves to be walked around like little ants at this point. We allow ourselves to be treated like that. Yeah. And, and that's what the Citizen podcast with Dan true. I did. Um, I, yeah, Dan quoted me on something. Actually, I said something. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm going to read it because it was the first time I read something and I was like, oh, I said that. <laughs> oh, no way. My husband went, hey, that was a smart moment there. And I went, hey, <laughs> I can write. But I, you know, when I talk, I'm a rambler sometimes. So I said, I guess we were talking about, you know, the, the concept of his show is, you know, these 12 different topics and you know, it's about being a good citizen, essentially. And mine I, I picked was um, live a life worth dying for. And I said, we've allowed people for a long time to tell us that our lives are their choices, but our choices dictate our lives. And we need to take that back. The problem is we've allowed people for a very long time now through a traumatic event, which is often a great time to make individuals either bury their heads in the sand or just break to the point where they feel so much pressure, they'll just comply. And so I am a little nervous with the direction of the vaccines in Canada, uh, only because they're now talking about every nine months and Canada is still one of the only countries in the world that you have to be vaccinated to leave and vaccinated to come in. Really? Yeah. So we're July 19th right now. And to come into Canada, you have to be vaccinated. Uh, Joe uh, Rogan yesterday, I I think it was on a show with uh, Tom, one of his guests, one of his comedian friends, Tom, can't remember his last name. Um, And he was, he just went on this rant and it went viral. He's like, you can't, Canada's a fucking dictatorship. It's a tyranny. You can't, you can't get in. And it's, he's not wrong. He's right. You can't get in if you're not vaccinated. And a lot of people can't leave unvaccinated Canadians. You can't leave this country. You can't get on a plane, a train, a bus in the country. You don't understand. Canadians aren't allowed to do stuff still. And people are still businesses telling you to put a fucking mask on when you walk in there. So Mm. I feel like my brain is exploding and no one wants to listen to how severe this is. Yeah. Well, I saw somebody, I can't remember who it was. It was somebody in the military space and he posted, we live amongst tyrants. And it was after the polls came out that a majority of Americans, I don't know about Canada, what the numbers are, but a majority of Americans actually support forced vax. They support restricting people who didn't get vaccinated from doing daily items and being on transportation. And that to me is, again, an issue of information and awareness and understanding of history. If we had better context context and understanding of how serious that is to force people to do things, maybe people would would think differently, but they are so tunnel visioned and so taught to see government's role in our lives in this way. It's quite dangerous. And they support this stuff. It's not like it's all of us against the evil government actors. There's a ton of people that are supporting and and enabling this to continue to happen. Yeah. Somebody said to me on a holiday recently, um, again, a very smart individual. I, uh, right in front of somebody I knew who was Jewish and I was like, Anybody is anybody. I can't, 
I can't say anything because if I say it, I'm going to ruin the family vacation. But he just goes, oh, not my father-in-law, this other person my, goes, oh, it's the dirty unvaccinated. And I went, I can't, fuck, where do I put my hands? What do I do with my body? Do I run? Do I just run? Do I just go to the ocean, shut my mouth? Do I scream underwater? What do I do? Because um, my grandfather is from Hungary and he left when the communism came in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so many friends who have their families that were, you know, in the Holocaust and that were Jewish. I have family members that are Jewish. I, I, I don't, I mean, I was a Hungarian gypsy is what my, my grandfather was. So, you know, Jewish pretty much, <laughs> whatever, if you just weren't white, you were fine. You know, you weren't fine. So <laughs> I, I struggle so much with this internally and I feel like sometimes, and I don't, I wonder how you feel about this. And maybe this weighs on you knowing this information, talking about this, having this be a big part of you and your life and, and being a, a voice for these issues. Does that ever weigh on you? Do you ever just feel like, come on, I'm always that person. Does that ever get to you? Um, I would say it's, it's more of, I just see things. I see history, all of history as a very small timeline. And so when people look at 1960 and they think it was ancient history forever ago and, oh, we can never do that. They're so confused when you see court cases strike things down from 1970 because they were like, well, that's been precedent for 50 years. And it's like, that's a very short time ago. And when when you don't think about things like that, it gets a little dangerous because you get complacent and you get comfortable in the status quo. So for me, I see we're, we're really following a bad timeline, right? I mean, Canada's far further ahead than we are, but we are not going anywhere good right now. And I see the change as generational. And so first of all, I think that the solution is at an individual level, when we're stronger individuals, we have stronger families. And when we have stronger families, stronger communities, and that'll build up. And we'll remember that concept of being a strong citizen in a country. So when we raise our children to have certain mindsets and to be independent and to fully understand the world around them, hopefully they then procreate and we create one and then two and then potentially three generations of really strong-minded Americans because right now we're being led by weak-minded people. So I see that and that gives me peace, but it also, maybe you feel the same on this, I don't have tolerance for people that are little dictators, little tyrants. I don't have tolerance for that anymore. I'm not trying to even change their mind or get them to see where I'm coming from. I'm trying to reach the people that are in the middle that are being lied to that deserve the truth and that would be on our side and see the big picture if they were given it. But this is an information fight that we are in right now. And so I was just at a diner. I had a speech in DC. I went to DC and then there's a cute diner called Pete's Diner right on Capitol Hill. So I always scooter around the monuments. This is so nerdy. <laughs> I get a little scooter and I love to scooter around the monuments every time I'm there when I'm visiting. And I did that. And then I went on a run and I go to Pete's Diner and I'm sitting there and I had a Turning Point USA hat. And keep in mind, every conservative group is vilified in America by the left. So Turning Point's this evil young group, but in reality, it's just a pro-capitalism, pro-individual freedom nonprofit that has clubs on campus and they have speakers come to the campus clubs and now they're doing school stuff. So I had a, a, a hat that said Big Gov Sucks in tiny white letters and a Turning Point logo. And I'm just sitting alone eating at a counter. And this, I don't know if 
maybe you feel the same when I can't conceal carry, I'm just a lot more aware of my surroundings. I already am so aware of the surroundings, but I'm in DC. I don't have my gun on me. And so I'm just keeping an eye out because I'm alone. And I see this guy standing down the aisle from me in a very small diner and he's making everybody uncomfortable. And so eventually the waitress looks up at him and I look up at him and she's like, sir, do you, do you need anything? And he then points at me in front of everybody in the restaurant. And he says, I need to know if that's a turning point USA hat. And I'm just like, Oh, uh, <laughs> like my, my business. And I was like, Oh, and then that's when I realized like right away, I'm not like freaked out by this or anything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to catch this guy being a doofus. And so I just pull my phone out and I open it and I'm, I'm not like pointing it at his face or anything. Cause that's obnoxious, but I just wanted to document it for my safety. And then, cause I was like, who knows what this guy's about to say. So I start recording it and he then Unfortunately, there's not a lot of places for him to sit. He has to sit two seats down from me at the yes. bar, just me and then two seats and then him. And so I just look at him and I'm like, so, uh, you didn't like my hat. And then he, he's just like, oh. and he said, yeah, you take blood money. And he went on all these things that billionaires fund you guys and you support the second amendment. And so we need to get rid of it because it's not about individual gun ownership and you end up killing kids. So, it, you know, we have kids blood on our hands because of whatever. And he's going off. Um, and I just converse, uh, had a conversation with him for like an hour. And I just bothered him the whole time with my breakfast, asking him questions. And he would say stuff of like, I truly don't believe you belong in, in polite society. You should not be welcomed here because you have blood on your hands for dead kids. And so you shouldn't be welcomed in this establishment. He's just casually saying all this stuff. And the more we see the growth of these crazy people and their mentality, the more I feel emboldened to continue to speak out and just be like, no, I believe you should be able to have your political discourse. I should too. I should be able to sit here and be welcomed in an establishment. And I would never tell you that you aren't welcome in a place. That's the difference between me and you. So I would say the crazier they get, it only brings more people to our side as they see how bad things have become. And it only emboldens me. And I'm sure you too, to feel righteous and what we're standing for, because it is, it is true and it is right. And it is moral to be doing and promoting these things. That's as basic as it can be. A little yeah, butt head. No. Yeah. Sure. I completely agree with weirdo. you. I love that. I know. Yeah. Why, why like go out of your day? Like if you see it, you don't like it, shut your mouth, sit down and eat, get up and leave, live your life. Stop acting like we all need to care. We don't. Mm-hmm. We don't need to all hear your opinions. We don't all need to sit on TikTok and cry about your issues. Do what everyone else does. Put your head down, smile, be kind to people and go about your fucking life. I don't know why people feel like it is right or acceptable or okay to go and try to be more hateful than we already have. The division is far enough, enough. I don't think it's acceptable. It's the same way people, when they get on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever, and they intentionally go at someone for no reason other than they have nothing else going on in their lives. And they want somebody else to feel hurt. No, they want to feel heard and they're clearly not being heard. So they think it's acceptable to go and treat people like this. And that's why we are the way we are. People think it's, there's no, there's no recourse. There's no, no one punching you in the face when they say what you say to them. Like it's unacceptable behavior. And I, I, I don't have an issue talking about it and being, I do feel more emboldened to have those conversations and to stand up in those situations and not apologize for saying when somebody says, 
Hey, I saw those crazies down by the border again. Oh yeah. What were those crazy signs saying? Yeah. Be aware of the new social credit system that's coming in in October that, oh yeah. yeah, they're not crazy. You're just not paying attention. That doesn't make somebody else crazy or hateful. It means just because you're uneducated, you don't get to sit there and talk negatively about another human being. This is not okay. Yeah. And, and so the weird thing with that is he, he went through every political issue. Right. And when he first asked about my hat, he announced to the diner that he needs a seat further away from me because he can't possibly sit. Wow. Next to me. So that statement right there, that's how you bring people to my side, buddy. Easily. So they hear that they're shocked by it, but then he goes on and I love to have the conversations with these people. Now I, I actually enjoy it more than I ever have. I don't like confrontation, but I like confrontation now with these absolute lunatics that are little totalitarians. And so in the conversation, he's saying, yeah. And these, these guys with their trucks and their guns, it's like they're compensating for something. And I said, what? And then he goes, you know, if I see a guy with a gun, I just assume that he's a member of the small penis gun club. And so this guy is like a little noodle, right? He's a liberal looking frail, older man. And I looked at him and I was like, that is really creepy. Why did you have to make it sexual? Again, I'm 25. And, he's like, <laughs> and I was like, why'd you make it sexual? And he was like, I didn't. I just said that they, I just, and I said, no, you did. You brought up their private parts. Why do you do that? Why do you sexualize this? Why do you attack their masculinity? Why do you sexualize our kids in the classroom too? Everything's about sex for you, creepy people. And I just loved it so much. I was like, it's so disgusting in front of me, a young lady. <gasps> <laughs> See, I couldn't get away with saying that. Everyone would be like, stop, you're kidding yourself. Stop playing, Kelsey. Stop it. You started the sexual comment. You know it was you. Like, I love that you can get away with that. That's fantastic. But I also love how you spin and you're like, oh, you, you're disgusting. But also you're like horrible with children. Why? Why? And you just go into like an actual legitimate yeah. point. Did you just say it's... private parts? And then I was like, <laughs> you know, I think that it's very attractive for men to carry firearms and to be all muscular and masculine, sir. I joke, I joke around about the, uh, what the civil war would look like now, (laughs) because like I, I, so many of uh, my friends are ex-military or police or fire or paramedic. And I, I laugh because most of them lean more to where I lean, which I don't even consider myself right or left. If I'm honest, because I don't in Canada, I don't, I don't think that even exists anymore. Um, I'm just really for certain things and that could be from the right. It could be from the left. It could be, do you know what I mean? I'm pretty, I'm pretty balanced. I would think, um, we don't get the opportunity to do the whole concealed carry thing up here. I'm more of a knife person. So getting proficient with the thing that we can have is what I try to do. Um, I love going to America though. And just so many friends, like when we were into shot show, uh, last this year, a friend of mine goes, Hey, I've got a couple with me. Do you want to carry one while you're here by yourself? You good. And I said, do you want me to carry, uh, an, uh, like a, a weapon without my name on it, which I'm pretty sure has a serial number scratch off it. You want me to carry that around and then just accidentally, hopefully not get arrested and then charge and sit in America for the rest of my life. I mean, I, I'm not for it, but thank you so much for offering me one of your many guns that you have on your body at all times. <laughs> well, it's like you said about my blanket where it's like, there's just always something with us Americans. <laughs> I, it, it is. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, more so than ever. When I went down to, um, when I went down to the States and I did, uh, I did a week down with black rifle. I was on their podcast and I went down there and I went to the range and Matt best looked at me and there was a 50 cal and like a whole bunch of stuff they were shooting. 
And I had just finished an ayahuasca ceremony that weekend before. So I was like, oh, real Zen. Wow. Zen. Okay. Not, uh-huh. not in the mood for the gun stuff. And um, he goes, what do you want to shoot anything? And I said, uh, normally I would say, yeah. I mean, because the fact that I haven't seen a 50 caliber machine gun since Afghanistan, because that's just not something that's accept- <laughs> like, well, I, I'm just right now, I'm just blown away by the amount of ammunition and weaponry here. And then you go to the house and it's just, there's a gun on each countertop in every friends of mine in all of America I go to, there's just like a gun lying around and it's fantastic. Not because they're it's lying around when there's children. No, there's not kids around. These are only grown adults in these homes. I'm just going to preface that they're around with safe adults. Um, but I know that if something ever happened, those would be the people that would take the shooter down. Like for example, what happened recently, uh, tragically, um, in the food court, you mm-hmm. know, so being able to have weapons and to be able to protect yourself and others. If something goes wrong, I believe everyone should have access to, unfortunately, currently where I live at this moment, that is not something I have the privilege of. (laughs) Oh no, no. So did you go to Bernie? No. Where did I go? Where do we, I went to San, I went to San Antonio. Yeah, no, that's where my house is. Oh, really? What? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. downtown Bernie is one of the cutest towns. It's like old cowboy style, really yeah. cool architecture. And I, I saw it and I loved it because I was coming from upstate New York. And as soon as I was down there for a speech and I loved it so much, I just canceled my flight home and I got an apartment and I called my parents. <laughs> That's how I moved. That's got to be one of the best ways ever to move. You were set, huh? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I I actually called my husband when I was down there and I said, look, something just happened to me at a gas station and I, I, I genuinely need to tell you. And he goes, okay, this could go so, so many different ways. Um, so we had been out at the range all day and I was driving back to my hotel and I stopped the gas station and uh, I go into the gas station. And I'm like, oh, I want to also get a pack of, uh, pack of gum. Oh, and a, like a, like a chapstick. But for, for whatever reason, all of the chapstick were behind the counter. So I think they're just like very easy to pocket anyway. So this gentleman who was working much older, I walked up, I said, hi, excuse me. Can I grab one of those behind you? And he goes, darling, you can grab whatever you want. (laughs) You are just beautiful. And I went, Oh my God, thank you so much. (laughs) And I was dumbfounded because you cannot compliment anyone up like well, you can't you can't no one could I mean they could it would come off real fucking weird but no one would like sit there and like hold the door for you and be like you look gorgeous today like you can't say that stuff anymore because it's like offensive but I got on the phone I was like hun somebody just called me beautiful and he's like oh that's great and I was like it was this old man at a gas station he was so sweet and he's like Texas hunt. I'm like, I know I forgot. I know. Well, actually I read something. I really love uh, looking into the differences between men and women. It, it all started because during COVID when they were saying that our kids were going to be resilient and just bounce back, I don't have kids. And so I couldn't personally attest to it, but I was really interested. And I felt this mama bear instinct of like, maybe they won't bounce back. Maybe they, yeah, they will this stuff. And so I started reading child development books. I started reading all of these things about from in the womb to 
up to five years old of all these differences that can happen. And then as you become a teenager and I got so interested in the differences between the genders and all these other things. And so I saw something of how like, maybe you and me, we take it for granted sometimes that people are just extra nice to us. Like I get compliments all the time from strangers and they're always smiling at me and they're always sweet. And I, I just thought that that's maybe how everybody was, but then I read a whole article about how men the percentage, it's just a small fraction of compliments and nice comments and smiles throughout their day that they get. They get a fraction of the amount that young women get. And that can maybe have an impact on someone. And so I read this thing. And then from then on, now when I see men, I'm like, you know, I really love your outfit today. And that's a nice beard. I just come up with random things. <laughs> your beard and I is great. More <laughs> because it made me really sad. Like they don't get those yeah. random compliments that young women get and they don't get that kind of kindness shown to them all the time. It's a very cold world for men out there. So I it's think a it is personal little mission that I have to be extra nice to them lately. Yeah, but that's really kind of you. It's just being extra nice to humans in general is something I go out of my way. Like up here, that, that kind of talk doesn't, happen up here. Like I don't experience that in up here in Canada. I don't, maybe people, if they want, if they say something to say under their breath, I don't hear it. Like, but nobody actually goes out of their way. Like that gentleman did like, that's not something I experienced. I get that when I go down to the South or the States a lot, I get a lot more of that. Um, but that's just, yeah. Even up here for females, I don't, I, you can't, that's like, that's like a hard no. Yeah. It's, it's creep. Right. So in, in America, I think it's fantastic, but up here, I try really hard to do it to women too. If I, if I see somebody, I think that's got a cute outfit on, I will intentionally, even if they're on their phone, I will go out of my way to be like, Hey there. Hi. Yeah. I really love that outfit. And they'll be like, thank you. I'm like, you're so welcome. And then I'll go about my day because that doesn't happen anymore. Like I said to anyone. So it's less threatening, if you will, if it comes from another woman for whatever reason. So I, I make the effort. Um, I don't know that I can go around complimenting men. I think my husband would be like, so what's that about? And I'd be like, I just really like those jeans. Like, I don't know that I can do that anymore. <laughs> I just give them, you know, an extra big smile and stuff. And I mean, like older men, I'm not like going around trying to win the dating pool being like, hello, I love your shirt. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't take much for you. Let's be honest with that smile. Oh. It's so like all American and like oh. perfect. Gosh. Thanks. I'm getting, I went and I got a skin doctor. I was there and she was like, so do we want to do something about the, the crow's feet? And I was like, oh, I just have big cheeks and it, it causes lines. Don't it just causes. Them. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I think one of the best uh, forms of wellness is, is looking after your body. And I've, I'm not just about mental health. I think a lot of people think I'm just about the brain, but I am, I'm about overall wellness. And I, and that includes physical fitness that includes looking after your skin that includes things like Botox. I used to use Botox for migraines until I did TBI treatment and I don't have migraines anymore, but then I just realized I don't, I didn't like where my forehead was going in my life. Um, so it looked, it and so I did it again and I realized, you know what? It's okay. It's totally okay to invest in yourself and the wellness because it is how you feel, how you look when you look at yourself in the mirror I know it's not just about looks, but when you feel like you feel great that day, you've got a cute outfit on, you put effort into your life, that will make your day different than it will if I just show up in Lululemon sweatpants with a bun on the top of my head and just brush my teeth. And I'm like, well, here we are for life now, which is often, but 
I'm working on that. We're working on that because it's about looking after yourself. And that is the, you know, a key to wellness, right? When you feel good inside, you put that out outside. I agree. I mean, I think it's actually, and I'm trying to bring it more into conservative spaces too, because I'm, I'm in that political um, world. And I think it is really conservative to actually care about the daily choices that you make and, and to get more into lifestyle and to get more into individual solutions instead of um, complaining about everything else out there. And we, I think you see the rise on Instagram too of this. Like, I love those pages that are like, go outside and walk around for one hour barefoot. <laughs> I yes. do that all the time. And like the, the time outside in the sun, I really do think it's important. And this hustle culture is something that I'm really against. Like I have, I'm self-employed. And so I have all my contracts and stuff, but I'll end contracts. If I just feel like it's not enjoyable and I am being too stressed by the workload on it when I don't necessarily need it. And it's, it's taking away time where I could be going to a workout, could be spending time outdoors and all these things. And it's funny. So I live in Phoenix right now. Have you ever been to Phoenix? No, I haven't. Okay. So I've live here for one year for a contract and I'm leaving soon, but it's so hot here. It's 115 degrees every day. And I've discovered it. It made it so that I didn't want to go out and do my hikes because it got so hot. And so I was trying to figure out how I could spend more time outside because it's unbearable. And so I bought a little $80 printer from target. And now I look at the news and I also hate screen time. So now I look at the news really quick, a website, and I print out all the big news articles in my little printer. And then I walk and I stand in the pool at the apartment complex, just up until my chin. And yes. then I hold papers like this. And I just, it's my way of having cooled down outdoor time in the sun. And that's, that's I spent two, two hours out there reading. <laughs> that's honestly, that's what I do when I have something really important. I did that. I did that when I was writing part of my book, I would print off the stuff I was working on and I would go to my in-laws pool and I would do that. We don't get near as hot, but the heat for us, because we don't get near as hot when we do get hot, it's like, and we don't have AC because it never gets hot enough. So it's like, we're just, just hot, hot, hot people. So I do the same thing. And I think that's brilliant. You find a way to get it done. There's always a way there's, yeah, there's plenty of excuses, but there's always a way to get it done. Yes. Balance is key. And people, I think COVID either gave individuals a moment to stop and realize what was really important to them and then how to change that so that they could have a better life or they went the complete opposite. So I love seeing that you were able to find a way around the tricky little things. And I also love hearing that you take it seriously. Like when something stresses you out too much, you realize that it's not well, you're young enough now to know, to know better. And if you implement those lifestyle changes, now the longevity of like your health and your wellness is, is going to exceed so many who are just head down grinding, which there's nothing wrong with that. I have a, I'm a, I'm bad for that, but I also recognize there's a line where the candles just can't be burnt at both ends. It's not healthy or well, or fun to be around for anyone. Including yes. well, especially creativity. Cause I, my future I'm 25 now. And I've always hoped that when I get to this age, then move a little bit further, then I can start focusing more and more on other aspects of education. So more curriculum, more legitimate forms of things that could be in classrooms, books and stuff like that, like children's books. And if you're overworked, your brain just stops functioning with creativity. And then you allow yourself to go day to day, just getting the needed tasks done. And that can really 
impact the long-term goal that you had for your work and, and for what you were hoping to create and put out into the world. So I try and do that, but I I'm excited because I just, I signed with Salem media and I've never worked with people before. I don't know about you, but I'm completely independent, all my stuff. Like I just run it all and I just post it all and I handle it all. And I just hired an assistant earlier this year, but I just signed on with Salem because my vision is to have a whole homestead with a little podcast studio on it. And then I can go and report the news for an hour every morning and then focus on the family and anything else that needs to be done. But most importantly, like raising the kids and stuff and being there. So I'm excited because I just agreed to it. I'm nervous though, because I haven't had to report to people Don't in a be. long time. <laughs> no, don't think of it as reporting. Think of it as them as um, they're helping you. Yeah. Like, right. You're, they're not reporting to them because without, without you, they don't exist. Right. Remember you're yeah, the value. It is, but it yeah. is nice. So it's a, been a fun change for sure. Congratulations. That's a big get. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. For us, for the show, I'm, I'm the same. I do all of that. Um, for the brand itself, we have, I have a team, obviously we have products and other things in a warehouse and all of that. But for the most part, I, I keep a very small skeleton crew and I crew, and I only really interact with like one of them on a like daily, very close basis. So, and that just happens to be my best friend. So we, it works out well. Um, we don't really have the structure of like, I'm the boss. It's like, we're all teammates. We all work together at a common goal, but when it comes to the podcast, yeah, it's us, it's me, it's I, because I am a control freak and want it done a certain way. And, um, until somebody brings me a deal, I want, I'm, this is me because I, I love what I do and I don't want to be told what I can and can't do. That's a big thing. The military made me realize I am, uh, I'm an independent individual. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. And part of that too, people are part of this rat race, the keeping up with the Joneses concept. And I, I think this, this whole talk of the food supply shortage and everything that's going on, people are getting really, um, concerned about the amount of trust they've put into the mm-hmm. supply chain and into government, whether, whether it's the education of our kids or the providing of food, the providing of products. I think a lot of people are starting to realize what we were sold in the seventies, eighties, nineties, it doesn't have to be status quo. And I love that concept of victory gardens back in the world war II, I think 40% of, of food was grown in people's backyards in their own victory gardens. And if we could all become more self-sufficient in that way, I think the whole country would benefit. And that's not only just with growing our food, but with the raising of our families and creating an environment that's really um, nurturing instead of sending our kids off to school and then hoping the government raises them right and then turning them out to be a nine to five boss babe, whatever it may be. I think that we might actually be able to make a cultural change like that. And so I I hope that we can try and communicate that to other people that it's possible out there. Oh, it's incredibly possible. We're fortunate enough to have a a forest school near here. Um, And that's where my son is actually right now. So that, you know, you have to look at things differently. And I think if we just took a second to realize that we can do this for ourselves, we don't need someone telling us what to do. We're, we're grown adults. We can make choices for ourselves and we can read things. We have information. We're in the information age. How do we how do we just let it slip? We can't. In my opinion, it, we need more self-accountability. We need more leadership, real leadership, serious, real leadership. We need individuals that are going to do what's hard when it's necessary. And that is something that I'm hopeful for and hopeful for the future. And like you said, raising kids to be strong 
individuals to see value in different things. That's going to be the way forward. But until then, we just need to continue trying our best to wake up as many individuals as possible. Um, and I think that starts with, with shows like yours. And I think it starts with people like you. We had Jack po- uh, Posebeck. Posebeck. Oh, on. I love Jack. Yeah, we had him on a couple of times now. Um, we had him on right after he came back from the World Economic Forum for the second time. And I was like, hey, friend, what's up, detainee? Let's have a conversation about your life, huh? Life choices. Funny. And so I think there's plenty of us that are out there that are doing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're putting your efforts into things like this because education is paramount that we start looking after our children and what they're learning every day, because otherwise we're just going to be deprogramming every single day they come home after school. So if we can just change the system, then we don't have to worry about that as much. Oh, of course. No, I, I can't wait. And I think too, um, when I started the firsthand testimony, the nonprofit to interview survivors, I saw a statistic that said um, the most effective way to reach a young person or really a confused person about politics with an opposing viewpoint, it was actually hearing it from a peer, not from a parent or a professor or an authoritative voice that would actually open their eyes and potentially change their heart and their mind. And so I take that into perspective, not just with politics and with communism and with that education aspect of history, but with lifestyle, we can encourage and, and communicate that kind of lifestyle to people by living it out. And and that's why I have social media. Like if I didn't, if I didn't need social media to market my business and my things Mm -hmm. or to share wholesome activities that I'm a part of, because a lot of my following is young women, then I wouldn't post it. But I, I, I do feel like we can communicate a certain lifestyle on that platform, on Instagram, on social media, and um, have a positive impact there. Well, and you're going to continue to do that. And I'm grateful for your time. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find everything about you? Your amazing flags. You're quite the woodworker. Hey. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I started that in college to pay off my student loans. I started making wooden American flags with my dad. And then we, to be honest, we stopped doing it because I paid off my student loans. And then we kept the website up and we would just make some some community orders whenever we got some locally. But when I joined politics, people would search my name and then find that site and started ordering the flags. <laughs> and so now it's just more of a fun thing that me and my dad still do. And we really enjoy it. We just partnered with Kenny um, from golden age supply. He does leather goods and we sold these really cool. We, the people tags. And every time I order a new batch, they just sell out. So I'm nervous to even announce it. Cause I feel bad, but it is a really fun new partnership that we have. Um, those flags are for sale at zeggersfreedomflags.shop. And then if you guys want to listen to my, my actual political podcast, it's the Morgan Zegger show available on all podcast platforms. And then uh, the freedom records, the interviews with communism survivors, we hope that families can watch those, not just individuals that want to watch it on YouTube, but families can sit down after dinner and watch those together. And then also, if you know of any people with charter schools, private schools, homeschool pods, uh, I'd love to talk to you and make sure that we can get that incorporated in your curriculum. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're a, you're a light. So I'm, I'm more than happy to have you on. You're welcome on anytime, my dear. Everyone else, we'll see you all next week.